you're familiar with this uh, passage. And I want to focus on the end. Then we shall see him face to face, for I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Uh, I put this up to look at that, even as I'm fully known. He worked with international peace. And uh, we strive to know them as God puts in their hearts as it follows the desire to be fully known, to be loved. So, I'm going to take liberty and let you know me a little bit more. And that's in order to make this whole thing make sense. Uh, my wife and I were Grand Rapids. I walked here to, uh, I walked here this afternoon. And uh, we met at Calvin. This actually was an old school, East Christian. I was looking for someone here from South Christian that had signed up because I'm a sailor. Uh, we met at Calvin, signed up with Christian Cornwall Missions, and went to Nigeria. Uh, taught in Nigerian secondary school for four years. We were house parents of 16 high school missionary kids, including Tim Ellens, for a year. Then we went to uh, Liberia and taught there out in, in, in the rainforest, way out there. And then back to Nigeria to teach at Hillcrest International Missionary Kids School for a couple of years. And I taught in Mata. <laughs> for a couple of years, and then I signed on with the missions again when we went to Tokyo. I was principal of uh, elementary principal of the Christian Academy in Japan for 10 years, and I taught senior English. Hi there. Hi. Come on in. Name and number. I mean, name and where. Dave Blinkler, Michael, welcome, Dave. Um, I taught senior English there, and then uh, the mission movement to Central America, and I was field director there for five years, and then principal of Calgary Christian High School for four years, and Rochester Christian School for five, and then we taught at Rehoboth for a year, and then I was principal of Valley Christian Middle School for nine years, and you can tell I'm old. <laughs> uh, when we came back to the States, we still had that overseas bug, and I we taught uh, my wife and I 10 summers at Lithuania Christian College. And my, my, my work is, I'm an English teacher, so I use Shakespearean tragedies as a springboard for evangelism, which took me a couple summers to Ukraine, but also twice to Tuba, Siberia. And uh, I would have, I had week seminars for 100 people there, 50 of them teachers in the Republic of Tuba. Uh, a third of them were pretty good, a third struggled to keep up, and a third had no idea I was talking about. Um, and then the other 50 were junior and senior English students in the university. I also taught with ELIC, I hope you're familiar with that, English Language Institute China. I taught from summer in Shenzhen uh, Province, 20 English teachers. Uh, then after the nine years in Valley at, uh, in LA, then my wife and I moved actually to China. We lived in Shanghai and in Shenyang in the north. I was the superintendent of Transformation Academy, which had campus in Shanghai and also in Shenyang. Now I work with Joy International School. Uh, it is in Huayan, China, just a small city of six million people. is a sister school of Rockford Christian in You might see a familiar face from the That's the principle we had for the first three years. Uh, 
of Lithuania when the Iron Curtain fell, at which time they fled to Moscow. She is a Russian-Lithuanian teaching English in Genoa, Italy. Okay? <laughs> and you think she might have some baggage to work through? Uh, this gal stumbling, trying to make Buddhism and Christianity and who knows what else into her own boutique faith. I go back and forth with her, I mess with her all the time. Then there's Vanessa. What? The ones born with silver spoons in their mouths? Oh my goodness, this is one of her dad was the top at the top of one of the largest, most powerful Asian companies and now is in prison for corruption. She's a grad student at Johns Hopkins in her last semester looking for jobs. And I go back and forth with her. Her marriage is on the rocks. Uh, just incredible stress. Well, why did she come to the school in LA? I took her in as an eighth grader. In seventh grade, she came home one day to find her dad in sack with another woman. Our international kids come with similar stories. Some of them are faith and freedom for faith. And some of them abandon it because parents have divorced and neither parent wants to get around. The big story is this one. Disciplement is walking alongside of others in Bringing them in, joining into God's story. That's the goal. But you know what? The more I'm engaged with Chinese Christians, the more I realize that I'm the one being discipled. And as I look back over my 48 years, 49 years, I find, you know, I've been discipled. Largely by those that went to disciple. And I'm humbled in China now to walk alongside of our brothers and sisters. Do you know why if international kids come to your school? Their reasons are part of their story. Perhaps the start of getting to know their story even as I am fully known. So I come as an advocate for the international kids. Chinese, other Asian, African, Latino, and many others. I've had experiences, I've done a lot of reading, but for example, 1.4 billion people make up China. I've only met a few of them. Today I'm going to focus on Chinese kids, but much more apply, it applies a lot of other places. 19, or 2018 I came across this, you may have seen this, it did a project art prize downtown in Grand Rapids. A huge, magnificent, powerful floor-to-ceiling oil which to me depicts the intentional, systematic dehumanization taking place in China. Chinese parents send their kids here for a lot of strategic reasons, but underneath a goodly share of them, consciously or subconsciously, is this. To preserve or restore the God-given dignity of each kid. Here's the deal. Atheistic communism systematically sucks the souls out of people. And they're pretty doggone good. By the grace of God, he has put within people a sense of human dignity based upon the fact that we're created in this image. There's a God-given sense in parents to know that God-given dignity of a child. If parents know their kid's not a machine, 
And so they cringe when they see the dehumanization taking place in education there in China and in Korea and a lot of other places. Now, if you put it into such words like this, but as I've listened to parents over the last 12, 15 years, this is the cry that I hear. And I believe to some degree our Chinese students are refugees. Chinese communism has tried over the decades to destroy the sense of humanity and the God-given dignity of each. And non-Christian parents won't and can't articulate this through how God made us. And we know it. Christian parents understand us a lot more. And when I present to Christian parents, this is the constant theme. When I present in China, whether it be parents or teachers, this is my constant theme. To recognize, honor, and respect the God-given dignity of kids. For the non-Christian, this is a critical entry point to faith. As principal in Shenyang, I once kicked a second grader out of school. Now, I've kicked kids out of school before. I hate doing it. I really hate it. It's one of the most painful things. But I kicked him out because he couldn't meet his needs, his considerable, almost severe needs, which resulted in him repeatedly harming other kids. China doesn't recognize these learning needs. Such kids are pretty much institutionalized and abandoned. Parents want nothing to do with them. And there's no means to diagnose them to begin with. One of our graduates from Joy is over here at Galvin going into psychology, and I, I, I'm just cheering her on. Hey, come on, educational psychology, that's where you go. She's very interested in that, that's such a huge need here. So with this family, I spent three hours with them and directed them to an organization they call in Poor Malaysia that I knew of. And given their wealth and work, they were able to relocate there and get the necessary testing, the diagnosis, get him into school. And when he was back on track, or when he had some program figured out, we'll see if we can meet his needs. So in kicking this kid out of school this way, the parents came to the Lord right there. Never had that before. Kicking the kid out, the parents come to the Lord. Never had that. Uh, because they knew that I was honoring and God and that. That I see just just the turning place so far. So I plead honor and restore the God-given dignity of the students. Related to this would be the Gaokao. The Gaokao is the national exam, which determines and is the target for the entire curriculum program and teaching from preschool through high school. In America, we worship the Almighty Trinity. The Trinity of GPA, SCT, ACT. Okay? China's more monotheistic is the Gaokao. It's, it's, it's right there. And I'm not saying the Trinity is not monotheistic, that's another thing. But it, it, it's take, take that, that, that honor and just ramp it up 10 times 100 fold to get an idea of what the Gaokao is. It is a nine hour test over the course of two, three consecutive days, given to almost 10 million students every June. Chinese, math, foreign language, usually English, but that's probably changing, have been compulsory, and then they can lean to social studies and natural sciences. The U.S. curriculum is typical. We build, and the next year we review, and we build on top, and we keep going like that. In China, it's tower. You hit it, you go out. Hit it, you, go, you just focus on that, and when you get to be 12th grade, 
you review everything you've had. Teachers teach for the exam. Period. At the end of middle school, students are tested with the national exam, the Jungkook, so they can get into high schools to prepare for the Gaokao. If they don't make it and only half of them do, then they head for tech and general ed schools. If the parents have resources enough, we get them. Or if they pass the Jungkook but can only get into the lower ranked schools, we get them. So, yep, so often we get the leftovers, the ones who didn't qualify for the Gaokao track. So parents enroll kids in our schools, they save face or gain some prestige, especially for girls. It makes the girls more marriageable to get your, get, because to get your girl ready to marry up, for your kid to marry up is one of your major goals in life. Here's one scenario of how that works. At one of the more prestigious schools like Nanjing Foreign Language School, the elementary and middle schools are much larger than the high school. One school system, but the high school is smaller. Here we see, okay, you know, we get the feeder schools for the bigger high school. It's the other way around. So the high school gets to pick and choose the kids to enter their high school. They cherry pick their students and stack the deck so that their scores for the Gaokao are good. And that's the number one school in Nanjing. Some of those who don't make it into the elite schools have the resources to try to enter the U.S. schools and are part of the, our school being part of that alternative track. Here's the real deal. The value of a person is determined by the Gaokao score, which is posted nationally for the whole nation to see. And hard work and you will be successful. That's the story. That's the maximum. The system gives no recognition of ability or personality or types of learning. The value of the student and his future, the parents, how good were you as parents? The score is it. And it's a one-child country. So they get one chance. Everything I for a parent rise on this exam. The teachers, their reputation, and you go through the teacher evaluation, this is huge. Schools, uh, cities, provinces. In every city, schools are all ranked. Everybody knows. Not in, in different cities. Oh, that's a number one school. That's a number three school. That, that one's five. And it's, it's, it's right there. So if your student gets into the number three, four, or five ranked school, they may well head overseas because there's no way that child would, would be accepted into a leading university in China. Not going to happen. So I doubt you're getting kids to number one and number two ranked schools. But if you do, these kids are committed Christians. And we're almost guaranteed. By and large, though, we usually get those who are relegated to schools of a lesser rank or who didn't make the cut. Those that are not the top students. The Gaokao obligations. It's the greatest determiner of how that one and only child is poised to live out their obligations. So just imagine that. Uh, that score will bring satisfaction and comfort or despair and alarm. Many <coughs> other kids who are struggling in the Gaokao system. Parents send their kids to the U.S. to escape the pressure, to protect and nurture, 
think of the mental and emotional health of your kids. But think of this. You as a parent, out of love for your child, send your young adolescent to the other side of the world by herself for that child's emotional and mental health. So you may be getting third year, third, second, third tier students, kids who are drowning, not making it, ones that don't make the cut, kids with learning problems, you might have kids, high ratio kids who have ADHD or they don't process well or are dyslexic or Asperger's or somewhere on the spectrum, uh, kids with discipline problems. You've seen Gardner's model of multiple intelligences. You know, this one, the word smart and the number smart, that's school smart. You do well in that, you do well in school. If you're doing well in school, you're doing well with that. But not all of us have that as our strongest smarts. We all have a different one. What about the kids who's artistic? Or really self-smart? The creative ones, the picture smart ones, the music smart. They also get kids of you know any of that combination. So education overseas may be the next best option or a way to circumvent the system. But again, sending adolescents to the other side of the world is crazy. That's nuts. Think about it. Would you do that? There's, there's something broken here, right? They're fleeing, and the U.S. isn't the only country. They end up in numerous other countries. In Europe, Canada, Australia, Philippines, especially the English-speaking countries. But given the geopolitical climate we have now, and Asians being more the target of violence in the U.S., those other countries are more magnets in the U.S., and you see this tide shift. So subconsciously, or subconsciously, Parents will send your kids here because they're scared of committing suicide. Teen suicide is alarmingly high, and there are two peak times in China. In June, when the Gao Cao is given. In August, when the Gao Cao results come up. Then you have the kids with more than one kid, uh, and they have foreign passports because well, if, if you have more than one kid, you can't register that second kid. These kids may not be registered within the government, they may not then attend public schools, and but some of their parents have the money to solve this problem. So you look at this family here. Sorry about the leg. Andy here is a lawyer in a very prestigious law firm in the center of Shanghai. It's also a house church pastor. He and Lily met in London, where they were both studying law. And they had this child, so she was born in England. Then they had this one, who was born in China. Then they had this one, born in Argentina. And then they had another one, a fourth one, that was born in Indiana. He's a Hoosier. One of these can go to school in China and study for the Gaokao. But all of them are really, their secondary school there. They're in a school like my school in Joy, in Poyang. They, uh, they're all going to be educated here in the U.S. in secondary school. Then you get the Christian commitment. Christian parents desperately want Christian education. And they know this. 
They understand it. They see who the child is before God. They want to honor that God-given dignity of the child, and they desire Christian perspective and training deeply in their heart. When I was principal in L.A., I, I remember a Christian Asian family in my office applying for, for their child to come to our school. And, okay, so the child had tested, and, you know, and uh, went through all the paperwork, and I had them in my office, and I told them, grandparents are there too, right? I mean, it's, it's the whole thing. And I, when I informed them that, yes, their child had been accepted into my school, Christian school, they openly wept for joy. There wasn't a dry eye there. What do you mean? My guess is you've had the same experience. Christian parents especially will go to great lengths so that the souls of their children can be treasured, nurtured, and if not discovered in their classrooms. And then there's this. To escape pollution. Um, you know, they've been masking up a long time before we have. <laughs> and uh, I still have on my phone here, I can, uh, if you have, if you go on there, I have an app, your Air Matters, and I can uh, figure out what the ATY, the Air Quality Index, is. Uh, each parameter right here, it's uh, 12. The Guayan, where my school is, 133. Shanghai is having a pretty good day. It's uh, 72. Shenyang, my town in the north, is 111. Uh, Beijing, I don't trust the, this number. It says it's 21. Uh, you're better off with the consulate, the U.S. consulate, to get their number rather than this one for that. Sometimes it gives that. Um, I go through downtown L.A. is 44. Uh, but we're really good right now here. Last time was in uh, China. December 2019, just before COVID, I was at the airport in Beijing. AQI was over 500. And uh, actually, I had some heart issues. I went to AFib because of that, and probably some dehydration and uh, exhaustion. But uh, it was <laughs> pretty dreadful. Uh, you know, I was sat on the tarmac and could hardly see the plane next to me. Know what their air is like. But again, it's getting better. But, uh, you know, it's tough to be the Marriage resume building for the guys. I'm going to focus on the guys first. They come to your school to make them more marriageable. Because remember now, there is competition. You get 61 guys for 39 gals. And as a parent, your kid, one kid, your kid's success is your social security. And part of the requirements for success is having your child marry up. But if your child is a boy, yeah. that's all right, all right, are they? At his request, I've been praying every day for two years for a Christian brother, 33-year-old, Abraham in Shanghai, for a Christian wife. Every morning I pray for him. And his parents are breathing down his neck. You see, if you don't get married, you're born one. Your broken branch. Now that doesn't sit well with parents and one child. Then you have marriage resume building or barricades for the girls. And here's the sweet or bitter irony. You know, Americans adopted 100,000 Chinese babies over the past few decades. 100,000. 
Which gender were they? Female. Because if you have given your daughter up for adoption, you've got another chance of getting another baby, and maybe that baby will be a boy. At the same time, millions were aborted once they were known to be female. Millions. So once you were adopted, they're either, generally, pretty much you can find this, they're either female or they've had a defect. And uh, you can try again to have a healthy boy. Now, ironically, the marriage age women are in the driver's seat. And many of them kind of like this, this ratio of 39 to 61. In fact, many of them are not interested in marrying. You have your readings. Um, I, I, you have access to them online. You can sign up. I mean, you can access them in your uh, CEA website and whatnot. One of them is, it's item number 10 or 11, what I gave you, a wife less ordinary. A wife less ordinary out of the economist. And I, it, it, you, you can find this. I'm going to read a little bit from here. When June Ding goes on a date with a Chinese man, she hikes up the virgin factor. Instead of wearing a low-cut top and necklace, she stows away her cleavage and dons a demure sweater and scarf. During the course of the evening, she's careful to let the man do most of the talking, to appear interested in everything he says, and to react with sufficient wonder to ensure that he is comfortably marinating in his own ego at all times. This proves somewhat challenging for the 27-year-old Beijinger, who is no shrinking violent. Animated, affable, and razor-sharp, she graduated at the top of her high school class and then left China to study at Yale where she earned a BA, a BA and a graduate qualification in law. She worked briefly at a New York City law firm before feeling the full home. Like most Chinese her age, she is an only child, and moved back to be closer to her parents. Because parents wanted that, right? Especially with one kid. That has allowed them, the parents, to focus on what they see as June's next obligation to family. Marriage. Pay attention to your laugh, warns her mother. Is this ringing true at all? Is this accurate to the culture? Pay attention to your laugh, warns her mother, as June gets ready for a date one evening. Her mother constantly reminds her to tame any expression of amusement when in the company of Chinese gentlemen. June's father, a university scholar who seems just as invested in his daughter's future, suggests that she mute her laugh altogether and instead encourage her to smile like the Mona Lisa. Anything more exuberant might convince a prospective suitor that she is assertive, worldly, charismatic, not a good wife, in other words. June's love life offers a prime example of the obstacles Chinese women with advanced degrees can encounter when seeking a marriage partner. Most men she is set up with don't seem interested in casual dating. They're looking for wives, lushing, tender, baby-making wives. June's education, exposure to a foreign dating culture, and emotional expectations all make her something of an anomaly in modern China, where the propriety and practicality of traditional courtship often dominate. She's determined to avoid finding a husband of the shake-and-bake variety, the kind who shortly after shaking his hand you have married and begun making children for. In this, she is running against cultural expectations. Though China's economic and physical landscape have changed beyond recognition in recent decades, social mores lag far behind. 
and then it goes on. China is home of 30 to 40 million men known as Dongguan, their branches, who will never marry or produce offshoots of their own. That's a big change in a culture where until recently marriage was nearly universal. And further on, given the gender imbalance, June should have her pick of mates. But things haven't turned out that way, not just because the pool of men with equivalent education is relatively small. Culture, not just demographics, play a big part in the search for a mate. And many traditional sensibilities persist. We like our wives to be yogurts, says a 35-year-old Chinese investment banker. Plain yogurts, so that we can flavor them as we like. On paper, he seems the kind of match that would suit June. Like her, he's well-educated, he's ambitious, has a good corporate job, and speaks excellent English. At work, he's surrounded by high-achieving single women, but though he enjoys their company, he's not interested in marrying an educational or professional equal. In fact, he's already engaged. Well, my fiancé is a plain yogurt, he says. She's low-maintenance and doesn't really have her own ideas. I like her because she's easy to manage. A woman who knows how to sajiao knows how to make a man happy, says an article in the Chinese edition of Psychologies. Sajiao involves hunting, mewling, and stomping of feet. That doesn't sound attractive. Yet in a rapidly changing social and economic environment, it has become a critical skill for maintaining a sense of continuity and order in gender relations by helping a Chinese man feel loved, honored, chivalrous, and above all, manly. In the current competitive environment, the pressures on Chinese men are great. The skewed sex ratio means they must show to prospective mates that they are excelling. The Chinese Communist Party has, if anything, promoted the revival of traditional values. The whole movement of sinonization in more Chinese is putting more pressure on this show. Compelling educated women to make feel, men feel manly by behaving like children. It takes a conservative view that the family is a stabilizing force in a time of rapid economic change. And then it's, it's hilarious here because there's a gal that this uh, June goes meets, Ivy. And Ivy uh, says this, In the eyes of many Chinese men, a beautiful girl can only be beautiful as long as she's useless and completely lost and destroyed without a man supporting her. And a smart girl can only be smart as long as she isn't too beautiful to be taken seriously. As for a smart, beautiful woman, that Ivy proudly proclaims, a smart, beautiful woman, that is a mistress. But we won't go into that. I encourage you to read that, that article. It's just so, so insightful. Uh, here's, this is the track your girls are, are on. As you educate these young women, keep in mind, they will have limited tracks ahead of them, especially if they continue education here in the U.S. 
and this gives you an idea of the decisions they need to make. Including, are they going to be out? You might see this in your classroom now and then. Have you seen the Chinese girls do the pout thing? Oh, the sanjiao? I won't ask you to demonstrate. <laughs> but it, it is uh, it, it, it's definitely there. Another reason, escape bullying. In Asia, alpha males dominate and are not only tolerated, but praised and encouraged. They aren't really dealt with. And if they're caught, they just get a slap on the wrist. On the wrist. They can be aggressive and brutal. And this doesn't happen just in schools in China. I bet it happens in your school if you have more than just a few Chinese males there. I was in an international school in Chengdu doing a lost accreditation visit there. And uh, they had a high number of Koreans that were alpha males, and they were just, you boys, alpha males, and they were just, they had a grip on that school. Bullying is the result of our sinful human nature to dominate, to push down the vulnerable. And our schools enroll some of those vulnerable, abused in girls and boys, socially awkward, the learning challenge. Alpha males in Asia are like whites in the U.S. You do something wrong, you lose your wrist for Females are not alpha males, they get punished, like non -males. The alpha female, you might enjoy them, uh, to some extent, because they can keep the guys in check. But watch out for them with other girls. And uh, what to do with the alpha males? Get them involved. Forks, channel it, hold them to account and be ready. And it might be your biggest challenge, but left alone to create your own culture of power. And challenge the culture of the school. At least creating a dual culture with a different set of expectations and discipline. I think the approach is less like high school, in which the normal assumption is that high schoolers, they can handle their own interactions with social studies and norms. These guys, it's more like handling middle school boys. Stay one step ahead of them. Keep them engaged. Direct them constantly. Establish the norm for them and hold them to that norm. If you don't stay ahead of them and keep them right with you, They'll make their own one. Maybe you have the artists and free thinkers. Not much room for them in the Gaokao system either. And remember, classrooms are physical and mental boxes, as is the curriculum. If you're in seventh grade history, working through page 49 in your textbook with the teacher and 39 other kids in your class, pretty much right along every other seventh grader in the whole country working on that same page. The teaching style is drill and kill, and many thrive in it. Our students are thrilled to be out of it. But they have a hard time adjusting, and they really need some help getting into that. They have the abused and neglected. I knew too, all too well scenarios like this. The parents' marriage is on the rocks, and the kid is in the way. Parents are divorced. Kid is in the way. Parents are divorced and remarried, and either one of the new marriage partners wants that kid to from the old marriage. I remember this one gal in LA after her in, and this is exactly the case. Neither parent, newly married, wanted her in the house with Senator Stevens. What a parent or other family member has abused the child. 
Somebody who's come here for healing. And then, of course, the stepping stone into the U.S. universities. 350,000 Chinese students in U.S. universities. But then COVID and the geopolitical scene is changing that perhaps permanently. Basically, it comes down to this. Honor the dog giving dignity to my child because the system or culture is trying to take away. Shelter and or restore my child. And then promotion. Moving up. In many ways, some of these kids are refugees. Just with some money. Some a lot of money, but many of them, they're stampers. You gotta fill out the form to prove you have so much money behind you. You've seen the forms if you're involved in a mission. Uh, that often is just a loan. That's a loan, and it's in the bank account today, and once it's documented, it may be gone tomorrow. But the kids that come are needy. Refugee-like in some respects. Just love them. Don't worry about evangelizing them. You might even be discipled by them. Just love them with a wide variety of cups of cold water. Why do Asian parents entrust their kids to you? Well, you know, well, their educational systems are broken. And the greatest reason I'm convinced is to put these kids that they love, the paraeducators, into an educational system, especially Christian schools, that honors the God-given dignity. God-given dignity of their child, but pretty much their only child. And this motivation of parent love is so powerful that they'll send their only child to the other side of the world for this to happen. So, why do they not come? Who has more Chinese students this year than I have in the last two years? Who has about the same? Who has fewer? Yeah. We're seeing fewer. What's changing? What's changing? What do you see affecting the world? Everybody's taken there. 
two weeks. And they, they put the wall up. Other countries are, you know, the wall's coming down, but China has this wall area. And that's a tough one. They're going to try to keep it out for a whole bunch of reasons. Uh, this article that we give to you from Congress uh, is very, very telling. Um, basically, these things uh, is, is what I'm seeing. Uh, the sanitization, everything is to be more Chinese, including religion. Now, you're probably familiar with the Uyghurs out west, the wild west of China. The Muslims, the, the Uyghurs are Muslim, and they're trying to sanitize them. But there's also a movement, and it's not as strong yet, but it's coming even for Christians. And I, I put in there um, this, for example. Chinese Christ cast the first stone. A high school ethics textbook published by the Chinese government includes a revised version of John 8, 3-11. In the Christian version, Jesus is presented with a woman called adultery and says, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. In the communist revision, however, Jesus says the law has to be enforced and stones the woman to death himself. An estimated 60 million Christians live in China, half of whom worship in unregistered churches. I don't know if, they can, if they're counting Roman Catholics with that. Jane, how many Christians are in China? <laughs> what numbers do you hear? Two to three percent. Yeah, okay. So I would make 30, 40, 50 million. I always figure 5 to 10. Yeah, because this 60 million is what I hear, this is the lowest number I've heard in five years. I've heard 70 has kind of been the lowest. I've heard up to 150 million. I don't, I don't know, but it's, it, you can't count them. It's impossible. But they're so right for the Lord, it's, it's just incredible. Um, I also included another article. In China, the dream of an American education loses some of its meaning. Uh, I'll read a little bit of that. Between the pandemic and worsening U.S.-China relations, the gleam of an American education, education is dimming. So just the, the lure that you see a cultural shift supported, nudged along, at least nudged along by, by the Communist Party. According to the U.S., this is uh, August 14, 2021, 2021. Um, according to the U.S. Department of Homeland Security, the total number of Chinese students in the government's database declined by a fifth from 2019 to 2020. And while international applications to the U.S. plunged across the board for the 2019-2020 year, they rebounded this year, with the exception of China. Only about 19,000 Chinese students filled in the common application required to attend most undergraduate schools this winter, a 16% decrease from the last cycle. By contrast, applicants from India jumped 35%. Are you finding them in your school? 
Not coming there yet? Some experts say the trend is temporary, a pandemic-induced blip in a decades-long romance between Chinese students and U.S. colleges. Remember when we had the South Korean kids here? Okay, that was like that. We may well be on the downside of this. But others believe the downturn is more permanent and could intensify even after the vexing web of coronavirus quarantine and test is dismantled. Many families are already switching their children from the educational track that prepares them for U.S. college applications to the one that girds them for China's rigorous Gaokao exams. Education firms have ended classes taught by foreign teachers. There used to be the whole huge market in China teaching English. And these were for-profit companies. The government has shut them down. They've shut them down. So to learn English has become much more difficult. Kids in our school, I mean, we, we have seven, eight foreign teachers contracted. Two of them we had to drop because China is not allowing pieces for dependents. And spouses, not allowing it. So those families are out. We have four that are doing virtual because they can't get their pieces. They're still waiting. And you've got to do this security clearance, police clearance, and some other things. And as they've been waiting, those permissions have expired. So we've got to start all over again. This came up last week. So it's getting more difficult that way, but it's just being reciprocated on this way. Actually, that's reciprocation for what we've done here. We have banned the dependence of Chinese coming over this way. Just two or three years ago, it was very involved for Chinese families to send their children to American institutions. We noticed a decrease in that culture. In that culture. And I think that's very key. The culture has changed. The agency's Chinese clients have dropped to about a third of their pre-pandemic level. Peer pressure took hold among middle-class families experiencing upward mobility, casting an edu American education as, among other things, a status symbol. They were competing with each other, essentially go abroad, but geopolitical tensions and a global pandemic burst this bubble. But it was bound to happen sooner or later anyway. People who were just influenced by those around them, they no longer there. Because people aren't talking about taking the SAT or the TOEFL. Going to the US doesn't come just doesn't just come with advantages, it comes also with risks. And those risks are taking a higher profile. As we talked about here, um, students in Singapore, Canada, Britain, they recently overtook, Britain recently overtook America as the top choice destination for Chinese students. And parents are spooked by what they see as a rise in anti-Asian, anti-Chinese sentiment, uh, some of that spinning off from Trump and major incidents. Yeah. So, what do you do with all that? I mean, uh, these are all facts, even though that how do we as Christian schools reach out, support, paying students? Yeah. Here's what I think. The culture's changing. We're not going to get kids as I describe much of that. 
but at the same time, there's going to be increasing desire, increasing push for Christian groups. I think that's going to be strong. That's my hunch. That's going to be stronger than ever. Because any options. Um, there, June and I were talking the other day. She says there's what, 300 Christian schools scattered around China. The number I had a few years ago was, uh, was 2,000, but we're wondering if that included preschools. But there are hundreds of them. Now, they used to enroll like 50 kids or so. And they, uh, they had to be careful. There's one in Beijing, uh, right by South Station, right on the start. And I remember this, this one mom, Paul, help us. Help us. We want Christian schooling so much. My five-year-old boy, you know, I want him to be trained in the Lord. But I'm just a baby Christian myself. I have no idea how to do this. Help us. And she's crying. I think she's representative of a lot of and that, that push, that pull is going to be stronger. Uh, but it, it may well be difficult. This market might, it, it's going to go down, I, I, I'm pretty sure. But if the Christian kids have defined them and, and converge them along the way, it's open doors for them, I think. But even then, are they going to be able to leave China? And are they going to be able to get into the U.S.? I have no idea what that's going to be. Especially if, you know, if, if, if China is building this kind of stuff, that indicates they're, they're serious about having that wall up there for a long, long time. This is like a new great wall. There is, um, there is this school in Jakarta, Indonesia. Universitas Pelotas Harabin, something like that. Pelotas Harabin. This school is Christian, and it has a teacher's college. It has a number of Chinese kids enrolled in there, in this college. And this year they have 12 Chinese kids who have not been able to leave China that are supposed to student-teach in Christian schools in Asia. And they've been trained to do the Teaching for Transformation. They're all primed for that. We've got people from Kaplan and Dork and whatnot that are teaching there that are, are, are gearing them up for all this. They're primed for it. They can get out of China. We've got three of them in our schools. Who are teaching right now? That's the future for the Christian kids in China. I told this to Jenny the other day. She's getting her master's in education at Calvin right now. I, I'm looking for China. And I, this, this, to me, this is, this is the future. It's got, you know, we're going to send people there, but I don't know if we're going to get them either. I just don't know. And I say keep trying, and uh, especially in, in the Christian service. The other ones with the normal agents and whatnot, or I don't know, do you, do you take recruiting tours there at all? Yeah, well, not anymore. <laughs> not recently. But uh, as soon as the doors open again, if they do, you might have to go through two weeks of quarantine for your three-week trip. You know, that's, that's an area there. Who wants to do that quarantine? This uh, principal, he did that a year ago. He did that in March, with, no, a year ago, with uh, a six-year-old and a two-year-old in a hotel room for two weeks. 
And boy, does that bring out the creativity. <laughs> it's awesome. How many finger puppets can you make? And forks. Other questions?